Well, good morning, Resurrection Presbyterian Church and anyone else who may be joining in. I'm Jared Bryant, the pastor of Resurrection. And as we look around our world in this moment that we are in, what we are seeing is a world that is in desperate need of both hope and healing. And if you're new to joining us, we've been taking a a listen to Jesus as he describes the kind of people who bring that hope and healing to the world. And what we're seeing is it's not who you would expect. It's not the powerful, the resourceful, or the people who have it all together. Instead, Jesus takes the people that the world looks down on the weak, the needy, the broken. And he says, this is who I am going to use to be salt and light, to bring both hope and healing to a world in need. And this morning, he once again turns our expectations on their head with a simple statement. He says, blessed are those who mourn. Now, remember, to be blessed is to be in such a good place in life that others want to be in your shoes. Some even translate blessed as happy, which actually brings out the strangeness even more of what Jesus is saying. Happy are those who mourn. On the surface, it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense, but Jesus is telling us something important here, something that We've really got to get if we are to love our neighbors and live for the good of the world. So here's the question that I want us to consider this morning. How do those who mourn bring hope and healing to the world? Or even more personal, what does it look like for you to bring hope and healing to the world through your mourning? So there's, there's two ways I want to answer this question. The, the first is that we bring hope and healing to the world as we grieve the wrongs that we see. On September 6th, 1955, 50,000 people gathered together at Roberts Temple Church of God on the south side of Chicago. It's, this is over half of what you would see in a full Sanford Stadium. What brought this massive group of people together wasn't a festival of of celebration, but it was a a funeral of a 14-year-old black boy named Emmett Till, who had been kidnapped in the heart of Mississippi, was tortured, shot, wrapped in barbed wire, and thrown into the river. And when his body was discovered three days after his death, his mother seeing what had happened to her only child, collapsed and could only cry out, Lord, take my soul. But what Emmett's mother did next helped spark the civil rights movement that would really change the face of race relations for generations to come. So even though Emmett's body was disfigured beyond recognition, his mom chose to have an open casket funeral. And here's what she said. She said, let the people see what I have seen. I think everybody needs to know what happened to Emmett Till. And, and after that, she says, when, when people saw 
what had happened to my son, men stood up who had never stood up before. So what happened on that day was the eyes of millions were open to see a glimpse into the depth of wrongs in our world. Millions of people saw injustice, evil, pain, and loss. And what they did was mourn. They, they grieved what was wrong in the world. In a speech given shortly after 9-11, Queen Elizabeth II said that grief is the price we pay for love. If you genuinely love your family, your friends, your neighbors, your community, your nation, then you will be a person who mourns because you will see brokenness. You will see hurt. You will see loss. You will see sin and you will feel its effects personally. And that's not all you will feel, but but you will feel that. So what about you? What What is it that makes you sad in the world? What wrongs do you find yourself seeing? Where do you find yourself saying, this is not the way it's supposed to be? There's two times in scripture that we see Jesus weeping, not, not just crying, but loud grieving. And both times it's about the brokenness he sees in the world. The first time is when he weeps over the death of his good friend Lazarus, the, the grief of the people, their unbelief, and this ironclad power of death. It breaks him and he weeps. And the second is nearing his death. As he looks over the city of Jerusalem, all he can do is weep. This is the heartbeat of God's people, but they will not turn and be saved. And he knows the impending invasion that's going to tear through the city. And his response is mourning, grief, tears. Jesus himself knew what it was to lament. And it's something that we need to learn to do as well. Because it's what prepares us to be agents of change and reconciliation. But there's something more about our mourning, something that should set Christians apart. As followers of Jesus, we don't just grieve at what we see in the world, but we also grieve at what we see in ourselves. In other words, our message is just not that is a problem or you are the problem, but, but we are the problem and I am the problem. You see, the closer people got to Jesus, the more they realized they were not like him. Or you could say the closer we get to the light, the more the light illuminates what is really in our hearts. And what we see inside of us is something similar. Things are not the way they ought to be. We see jealousy, bitterness, unbelief, there's resentment, pride judgmental spirit, laziness, these misplaced desires. In other words, when we look at what is going on in our hearts, what we find is a life crying out to be put back together, to be healed and made right. Mourning over what we see inside of us can be a very dangerous practice if all it leads us to is guilt and shame and despair. 
But that's not what happens to the people around Jesus. You see, yes, as they draw near to him, they see themselves in a clearer light. And what they see is deeply troubling. But they also see one who is welcoming, who loves, who forgives, who makes promises, who extends grace and mercy, not in response to our goodness, but out of his own free, generous love. Which, which brings us to our second and absolutely critical point. Those who bring hope and healing to the world, they not only grieve what they see in the world and in themselves, but they look to Jesus for comfort and healing. And then they encourage others to do the same. You see, Jesus, he doesn't just say, blessed are those who mourn and leave it at that. There's just, there's no hope in that. But here is the good news. He says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Comfort here is not just a pat on the back that just says, hey, that stinks. It's a coming alongside with strength. It is entering in in order to help and deliver. In 1968, there was a small group of doctors in France who saw what was happening in the Nigerian Civil War. And it was a nation that was being torn by violence. And the results were tragic. An estimated 3 million people died from famine simply because of a blockade. Millions more were displaced and became refugees. And this is not a place you want to be. This is not a safe zone. But for this group of doctors, they simply couldn't close their eyes and turn off the news. They felt compelled to go, to provide care, to offer their services, to risk their lives in this war zone to provide medical help to those in greatest need. They, they not only grieved over what was wrong, but they entered in and risked their lives to save others. This group would grow to become what we know today as Doctors Without Borders. These are medical caregivers crossing boundaries, entering into grief, helping victims of wars and major disasters. And we've, we've heard the story of Jesus so many times that it's easy for us to miss the beautiful simplicity of it. That, that first, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit were all grieved by our condition. They, they looked at our shattered lives, our suffering, and our sin, and they, they didn't look at us with indifference or disdain, and they didn't ignore, but out of love, the Father sent His Son. And out of love, the Son came entering into our condition, crossing borders, leaving paradise, entering into our war zone. Jesus was known as a man of sorrows. And, and what we see is His life was one of perpetual pain and rejection. But He came, He endured, He suffered to heal us, to forgive us, to save us to make us new. And so when we ask the question, how committed is he to us? How much does he care? How, how confident can we be that he will rescue us? The cross is the definitive and great answer. 
So for me, when I'm confused or feeling foggy about God's heart towards me, I, I have to go back to this event where to bring us out of our desperate condition, Jesus himself pays the ultimate price. And he takes us with him through death so that we might come out with him on the other side in his resurrection with this future hope that can never be taken away. So in his book, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, Cornelius Plantinga Jr., he talks about the hope contained in the Old Testament, what what the people of God looked forward to. He says, God's messengers, these, these prophets... They dreamed of a new age in which human crookedness would be straightened out, rough places made plain, the foolish would be made wise and the wise humble. They dreamed of a time when the deserts would flower, the mountains would run with wine, weeping would cease, and people could go to sleep without weapons on their laps. People would work in peace and work to fruitful effect. Lambs could lie down with lions. All nature would be fruitful, good, and filled with wonder upon wonder. All humans would be knit together in brotherhood and sisterhood. And all nation and all humans look to God, walk with God, lean toward God, and delight in God. Shouts of joy and recognition would well up from the valleys and seas, from women in streets and men on ships. And listen to this, the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight is what they looked forward to, what the Hebrew prophets called shalom. It is the way things ought to be. We get a beautiful picture of that in the scripture lesson you just read from the end of Revelation. What we see is what what awaits us is, is not a funeral where there is mourning and weeping, but a wedding where there is celebration and gladness. And we are the ones that God looks at with perfect love and perfect commitment. There is no mourning, but there is laughter. There's God is not distant, but he is near. Every tear will be wiped away. Death is no more. No more crying, no more pain, no more mourning, because these things have passed away. Behold, I am making all things new. And so here's my final encouragement as you enter into a new week. Uh, First, slow down. And pay attention to where your life and our world is crying out for healing. Uh, Look around. try, Try to put yourself in other shoes and then express your grief. Put words to it and express that to God. And then second, let let your grief direct you and guide you and lead you to the comfort that is found in God. Jesus. Don't let your grief spiral downward, something that I'm very good at, but look at the Psalms, their honesty, their urgency, their Godward cries for help. Remember Jesus and how far he has come for us. Remember his death, his resurrection, and hold on to the future promise of new life. And then finally, follow Jesus across borders, into war zones, being 
his agents of hope and healing in a world in need. In other words, be salt and light. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Amen. Love you all. Miss you. God bless.